0: Welcome to The Picture of Wealth, a podcast all about living more of your life now, yet being responsible for your future. Lifestyle experimenter, wealth scientist, and financial coach Dustin Service shares life hacks, wealth tips, and interviews successful entrepreneurs on how they're thriving in happiness,
1: purpose, and prosperity. Oh boy, did I have a lot of fun with this episode with Tyler Morty of Four Strong Global Asset Management. And I know that sounds like a mouthful and, uh, you know, a bunch of investment jargon is about to follow, but it, it wasn't. This podcast was uh, health, fitness, uh, his mom's garden in the 60s to, uh, you know, talking about work-life hacks to free up time and free up brain space to focus on the things that are truly uh, important in life. And again, we did get into, uh, not the weeds, but I would say we got into some great conversation about where investment opportunities lie coming into 2021 or on what Tyler calls super trends in the world. So uh, let's uh, let's dive right into it. This is uh, your host, Dustin Service. I'm here with uh, Tyler Morty of Four Strong Global Asset Management Inc. He's the CEO and the CIO, but... Let's be honest, you know, behind that big gobbledygook of uh, stuff like who is Tyler Morty? You know, I, I really respect you that you take pride in dressing for success. So where did that come from?
0: <laughs> dressing for success. Oh, wow. I did, I did, that's never that's never been uh, applied to me. Um, first of all, thanks for thanks for having me on. The, oh, you're uh, welcome. On the show and and at your compound. This is, this is a lovely setting um, dressing for success. I, don't, I mean, I, I'm kind of an anomaly on Bay Street because I'm a West Coast guy. Um, I grew up in Kelowna, BC left, uh, when I was 21 to London, England. And I remember, uh, I rem- so I had the West coast style and I remember getting in- into uh, London and my first job and we I went down to Oxford street and I was like, okay, I got to get a suit. So I, I picked up this suit, w- which was, which was 99 bucks, 99 yeah. pounds. Yeah. And I think I picked like, like a mauve colored shirt and, uh, just some awful ties and everything like that. And, um, I got into work the first morning, and the the, the boss, he's like, he's, he looks at me, he's like, yeah, you can't wear that. <laughs> you can't wear that. And then, so it, it was like, you know, there's this massively baggy suit and stuff like that. And then, um, you know, so over time, you just kind of gravitate back to your, your own style. But I'm I'm a suburban dad now of two. And, uh, you know, there's a saying that the dad's dress in the last year that they were cool. So. <laughs> well, Maybe I'm like 1997 or something like that.
1: Well, I, I don't, I yeah. think there's some, I yeah. keep telling my family that when I turn 45, so I'm 40 now, when yeah. I turn 45, I'm going to start going backwards in maturity. Yeah. So every year you turn 46, you go back to 44. <laughs> totally. So it's all you're like Benjamin buttons that you're actually like trying yeah. to, uh, you know the stay young kind of mentality, whatever that means. And yeah.
0: Well, you know, I mean, you're at the age now. I'm I'm 43, so you we're, we're both at the age where you notice that there will people people become older quicker, or the and, or they or they just be, they stay useful. Like my mother's 78, and she says I still feel like I'm 25, and I think a lot of that's to do to a mindset and fitness and all that type of stuff.
1: Yeah. So. Is has she got any secret
0: secret things? Uh that's a good question. Um, she's always eaten really healthy right so she was from when i grew up she had a garden we we, we grew up on uh you know Cologne, and she had a, a massive garden right and she always she read this book in the 70s it was something to do with like you know eat whole foods and at the time remember multinational companies in the 60s started canning everything and that was the big industrial yeah. revolution of the, the food industry And so all our other friends were eating like Cap'n Crunch and Zoodles and all that kind of stuff. (laughs) And my mother was like, absolutely not. There's no way my kids are eating that. And we didn't have a lot of money, but she was, she always spent the, like, if she was going to splurge on one thing, it was like buying good organic groceries and stuff like that. So, I mean, but for her, I mean, she's always been, I think, adventurous, like, like I have, which is living around the world, you know, having properties in different places and, and that type of thing so I mean,
1: and the whole food thing is it's a sort of a trend
0: that goes away and
1: then comes back here we are 60 years later and yeah. I, whole foods you know this uh, is like this, this new thing that we just came totally. up with uh you know i i i'm looking at a chart on my screen about uh, i don't know if you know who this particular gentleman mm-hmm. is but martin armstrong the economic confidence model have you ever no, you ever no i've this? never heard so of he He talks about 60-year cycles and different things, but, uh, you know, the super cycle. But I'm thinking of that as it applies to food because... You know, influencers come on, they're like, oh, this the new diet, new whatever. Yeah. And you're like, oh, wow, that's such a good idea. Oh, but it's totally. like your mom was doing but it. it it's, it's all, and
0: a lot of people say that, say that like the people that are maybe in their 80s and even 90s now, they're like, we were eating organic all along. Like, yeah. we didn't have like 17 styles of cereal and that type of thing. We just ate oatmeal and we ate like our whole foods and stuff yeah. like that. So yeah, no, it's, uh, it's interesting to see how the cycles go around. But I think as we were talking about earlier... The industry, And this is a really cool thing about the finance industry is that it used to be more about like shooting furry animals and golf and a favorite scotch and all those types of things. And those th- things are still lingering, but it's morphing into like, you know, we, we take our clients to spin classes and we do different things like that. So it's it's just it's morphing into more, you know, OK, if I if I continue on this trajectory of lifestyle and me starting my career in London, you you see what happens when you're drinking every day and, you know, working that hard. And you don't, you don't make it to your forties with a really good constitution. Yeah. So do that you think, shift is happening.
1: Do you think that, uh, you know, again, where you're at now, you're 43. Yep. Like, yeah. And I really respect, you know, a lot of the lifestyle choices you make and sort of, and the, 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 the ability to hack, which we were talking about earlier of like still being successful. So it isn't like yeah. you're lazy no. or the fact that you've taken a couple hours out of your day to do something with your kid, or I know you, you know, drive your kid to school or, you yeah. know, you're telling me what your kids like, dad, it's not cool. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. you also know, like you right. take that time, but you can still be successful. So if you go back to like, you know, 15 years ago, you had a vision of what 43 year old Tyler would be. And, you know, money was, a, you know, money is a part of everyone's life and wealth. And so yeah. where your, your trajectory was in the years, have you changed? Did your mindset shift from like, you know, yeah. You know where I'm going with this? That's like, a
0: really good question. First of all, I would say I, you know, 15, 20 years ago, I don't know if I had like a really clear roadmap. I was fumbling like a lot of people were, right? Right, like in, in my 20s, I was fumbling through. All I knew was that when I moved to London, I, I had this profound experience of being like, wow, the 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 city of London has this wealth control, and people are shuffling money all over the world, and then. You know my my eyes opened up to like okay london kind of straddles asia and the middle east and north america and it opened my eyes up to um just the different cultures around the world and how those impact the flows of money and and you started seeing you start seeing the world more like uh, more biologically in terms of money, how the flow flows go to different regions and you know, how money will fall. Capital will fall in love with Canada when oil is going up right? and all those types of things. So I kind of had like a, you know, it was a, it was like a honeymoon. I say it was like, I fell in love with the world of global macro as we call it right? Like macro investing being sort of global investing. Yeah. And so I fell in love with that. And then I just chased that for a long time. And I mean, I think, you know, this too, you're always kind of, I don't know if I could say at a 15 year trajectory, it's more like a three to five year outlook on where you want to go. And you're always chasing that right. person. Right. So you're never going to be the person that you want to be. And that's kind of a cool thing. You're always chasing. So at 45, I'm going to be chasing 50 year old Tyler. Right. At 50, you're going to be chasing 55 year old Tyler. So, um, but the, the formative years are, are a lot of fun. We just actually hired a guy from mainland China yesterday. And, um, you know, he had two offers and, uh, our offer was, uh, Two job offers. Our offer was, I think, five or ten thousand dollars lower in terms of base salary. And um, he he really said he needed to think about. It. And I said, okay. I talked to him, I said, look, like you need to think about the experience you're getting rather than the money. The money's gonna come, right? Those things like yeah. the things that we worry about when we're young, like money and all these other things, as you know, become less and less so as, as you get older. So I was like, what job really feels like the right experience for you and the right skill set? Uh, that'll, that'll How a, old was that guy? Do you, um, you know he's he's a he's a recent grad, and um, so he's he's a recent grad and a master. So I, I would say he's like mid twenties. Yeah, early to mid twenties.
1: Because that, like I, I think you know, many of the people listening to this are you know, entrepreneur minded, or they own businesses, or they're professionals that you know, it, you really you know, so you're a, you know, assume you're you're successful, and I see it in practice where. You know, people make 150 grand, 200 grand, 130 grand a year. Yeah, they're saving a bit, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: or they're saving a lot—maybe you know, four grand a month. They actually, it's it's never enough. It's never, and and there's 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 a real lack of clarity into sort of how well that person's doing. Yeah, and you know, I I just I really you know we try and instill that message and try and get it out that. You know, maybe there's a door that you could open to you know balancing your lifestyle so for mm-hmm. in you in you was there a a milestone moment where you were making great income mm-hmm. but your your life wasn't what you wanted it to be, and so you made a shift or whether you either took a day mm-hmm. off or yeah, you know said to yourself like I have to take my kid once a week to school, and if I have to make." Ten grand less a year, then that's just going to be the way it is. Like, did yeah. that ever, did that ever thought um, process happen? I think
0: you're always shifting in terms of that. Like, I mean, for me, I guess it's, you know, one of the greatest things of growing old is that you start to understand what you truly like. Right? When you're young, you carry all these constructs of what I should like. Right? right? I should like, you know, maybe you, maybe you play hockey on Thursday nights, but you really don't like hockey, <laughs> and you have to admit that you like gardening and yoga, <laughs> <Yeah>. right? Like, <laughs> yeah. or something like that. And so for me, it was, it, it's more, um, and I tell this to the staff too, like we have this cultural manifesto at the, at the company that's all about like, if you're working too much, the, the, the feeling that you know that you're working too much or not being valued at work is, is called resentment. And so like, say, for example, you have a yoga class every Wednesday and you go to that yoga class and you start missing that yoga class, you know, too frequently then the feeling of resentment starts sinking in and that's where your, your life sort of starts cascading down. So I really, val- I mean, for me, what's worked is I really value my um, spare time and I'm really structured with it. I'm not, I'm not a naturally organized person. Right. So I impose structure. And so I know Wednesday at 9 a.m., I know what I'm doing, right? And then, right. and uh, um, Pierre Elliott Trudeau, um, the prime minister here, uh, did, did that in the, in the 70s. He said, from six to eight, I don't care if Canada is in war, I'm with my children. Right. right. Like nobody bugs me. Don't come into my office. Hard blocking. Hard yeah. block. And I just know that. I, and then, you know, like one of the things we struggle with in society right now with all these interruptions and that type of thing is, is being present. And so you can be present because you're like, no, that's my block to be able to. And so that heightens productivity, too. And I was telling you about this other podcast I was listening to. One of the one of the big takeaways is parents are far more productive than people without children. I'm, uh, not, I'm not saying go, yeah. go have kids, but <laughs> when, you, when you're at work, you know that, at, you know, in my case, at six o'clock, I'm sitting down with the, the family for dinner and stuff like that. And when I was single, I'd be, you know, I might work till 10 or 11 at night, yeah. take a break and eat something and that type of thing. But So it's, it's more about, for me, it's more about feeling that you're getting good sleeps, you're healthy, you're eating well, you're getting good times with your, uh, you know, your relationships around you and stuff like that. And you're also feeling fulfilled at work. You're like, I'm doing something of value. Right. right. I'm not just spinning my wheels and stuff like that. And we, we all have jobs that we have, like, you know, even in my position, I've admin stuff that I don't like doing, but. It just has to get done. It just has to get done. So, yeah, it's, it's more about, it's more about the, I think the way to describe it is a rhythm, right? it mm-hmm. you settle, settle into a rhythm. Or, yeah. yeah, cadence, exactly. And, and you settle into a certain uh, level of cadence and you're like, okay, I'm feeling like I am actually wealthy and not just monetarily, but I'm wealthy in all types of areas because there's a lot of, rich people, quote unquote, that are not wealthy. Well, that, right.
1: you know, like that, you're, you're I'm tangenting a bit, uh, you know, do you have certain measures? So here's my question. I'm going to be yeah. play therapist for a sec. So okay. you,
0: these are all great questions. I try not to prepare. We yeah, can no, edit no, no, it out. No, no, no. <laughs> you did not give me any questions here. So, um, for the listeners.
1: you know, so if you are measuring success in your life and you're not allowed to measure your income or revenue of four strong, yeah what does that look like? Like what, what do those markers or, you know, at the end of the year, you're like, frick service. I've had the best year. Yeah. And I say, oh, wow, you're, you know, wasn't your revenue. No, it wasn't that. It was because of.
0: Oh, I see. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is, this is maybe, well, I'll just open up. My wife and I do this wheel of life thing. Okay. Which is 10. So 10 different categories. It ranges from financial, educational, family, spiritual, all these types of things. Is this like
1: a from a book or do you write it or do you make um,
0: this? I, th- I think she came up with it actually. okay. She's got a lot of, the good, wheel of life. good insight that, yeah, it might, it might, it might be popular. I, I'd, I'd never heard of it, but so you put your, what your goals are and it's, it's not even a goal. It's more like a, um, you know, what you aspire to be in that particular category. So for example, like education, I always like to read, like I've got an English lit degree too. So I always like right. to read like fiction. Like, so I want to read a fiction yeah. book once a month. And it's not that you're feeling the need to get in that quota. But again, you're looking for the cadence of, of where you should go with that. Um, the other thing that I, I found really good too is um, a lot of, and this, this struck me a few years ago, a lot of people set long-term goals, like three to five years or whatever it is. Right. And I find that those aren't as effective as structuring a good day. <laughs> yeah. You know, so what really what you want to do is structure good days. I like to wake up early. I work Toronto time. So I like to wake up early. I hit the news. I call a few colleagues, that type of thing. I like to kind of get into the buzz. Yeah. And I'm up alone like my kids and wife are sleeping. So it's like, it's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And then I, and then, you know, I'll a a few, few times a week, I'll do I'll do a workout and that type of thing. Um, and then I, I, I move through the day in terms of this sequence and I call it the five C's like, and there's, there's areas where you connect with people. So that's the social side. Okay. Um, there's, there's consume. So I, I try to keep my consumption very small. So I don't right. be reading too much blogs and stuff like that. And and by the, the five C at the end of the day is close, So you close and you feel like you put a nice tidy bow on your day. Okay. Um, I can send you, I can send you a that's snapshot. From,
1: of, that's from, that's uh, from, I can't remember what book that's from. It's not
0: the entrepreneur's operating system. Um, I, actually, I actually made it up. You just made it up. Oh, yeah. yeah. I made it up. So I mean, I, I, oh, unless I stole book,
1: it. Book, Tyler Morty, <laughs> author, coming soon. <laughs> Maybe I should become
0: a life coach or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but back to that thing, like a lot of people focus on long-term goals and the problem with that is it's just too far away. Yeah. Right? And so my recommendation always is to like structure a good day. Yeah. You want to have a glass of wine at four o'clock? Have a bloody glass of wine. Yeah. I right? keep it in check, but do that. And then, you know, sitting down for dinners and stuff like that. So for me, I mean, I love sitting down for dinner. I love like the plated meal and
1: And just sort of getting into the vibe. I I like the, uh, and I would say it came up last year with COVID in the investment market, which you're in and you're again, four is a manufacturer of investment product for advisors. So we'll, we'll do a little backstory on that in a bit, but, uh, you know, the big 100-page financial plan that we all know is wrong the moment it comes out because so much is going to happen between said age and 65 or 75. Yeah. But you—you you know, nowadays we're hunting with like a shotgun instead of a rifle. Before it was like you honed in and you yeah. like did yeah. all this. and Now it's like bang. Oh, reload. Yeah. Move different direction. Bang. That's a good you know, point. Like, That's a good analogy. And I, I, I don't, maybe you know, daily might be more like an Uzi or yeah.
0: something. <laughs> totally. But or but, you're uh, the one getting shot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Hopefully yeah. not. Yeah.
1: But uh, I think that approach fits well with people trying to live more of a lifestyle because yeah. you know, again, we always say you know, be responsible for your future, but live more of your life now. Yeah. To be responsible for the future doesn't necessarily mean you've got to map out. 30 years, I gotta save four grand a month. Like so much is gonna happen. Yeah. yeah. But it's every day, every week, every month, every a kind of year, yeah. you're making at least a step forward. So yeah. if you can't make a decision on whether you should do a big RSP because the market or whatever, then throw 10 grand extra down your mortgage. And don't and it's move on. It's like, well, yeah. oh, that's only a low interest rate. Yeah. Move on. Just on. keep yeah. you know, keep trying to make great, you know, better decisions than you yeah. did. Yeah, The year before
0: you're so. trying to habitualize things. Right. And that's the, that's the real thing. Like there's the quote that excellence is not an act, but a habit. Mm. Right. It's like you, you, I mean, to go into war and to be a hero and stuff like that. I think this is Aristotle talking about it is, is heroic, but it's not necessarily excellent because excellent is what you repeatedly do. Right. Right. It's a repeated thing. And so. I'm sure the person who is heroic in war has set up some good practices and stuff like that, but you're trying to be, beha- or the word that we use at our, in our cultural manifesto is behavioralized values. Okay. So you're trying to make like, okay, hey, what are my values? What are, like for you? You want to be healthy and raise your family in a in this beautiful setting and so forth. And so how do you, how do you live that out day to day and behavioralize them? Yeah. So sometimes that means to me, like, I mean, we write this once a year, it's a, it's a manifesto and it's just like everyone's on the same page and, but there are obviously individual Components here
1: too. What how do you get like uh there's 168 hours in a week? There's okay. uh
0: I did not you, know that, but yeah, okay. so
1: there is. <laughs> yeah. Uh and if you had a uh, a balanced life, that'd be 56 hours for sleep, yeah, 56 hours for work, and 56 hours for yourself, yep.
2: which yeah. Which includes family. Yeah. So
1: in your work regime, you know, you've kind of talked about lifestyle you're able to run a successful business and, and it's growing awesome and you, mm-hmm. you're going well and you're still kind of got a smile on your face for your personal life. So it doesn't, I assume you're not working 14 hours a day, every day. Mm-hmm. So how did you, st- like what are some work hacks that you've, you've come up with that, you know, whether it's, you know, I'll, I don't want to steal away your, your yeah. thunder, but no, your I'm answer gonna, is like anything that, that, has kind of helped habitualize the work program and the backstory again for you know, this is a good price segue, is Four Strong Global Asset Management is uh an ETF or an index mm-hmm. investment firm mm-hmm. that provides investment solutions to advisors and yeah. banks and yeah. institutions. Yeah. So in, in your world, you're not necessarily meeting clients and doing financial planning. Yeah. You're leading a team to select actual investments. Right. Okay, is that a, did I do yeah, okay? Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. No, that's
0: great. We're we're an investment manager that primarily distributes our products through uh, financial advisors and uh, financial platforms and institutional clients.
1: Okay, so as CEO and CIO, yeah, I, that seems to me like there'd be a lot of responsibilities around that. Right. Um, tell me how that that works, and then yeah. how you're able to get leverage out of time for your own lifestyle.
0: Yeah. Oh, wow. There's so many things that would, would come out of that. We could, we, do we have till midnight here, Dustin? <laughs> um, I think, okay. So again, I think first you have to define what work is. And, and, and for me, the loose definition is you're, you're just adding value to somebody's life, right? You're okay. adding value in some way. And so a lot of what we do at work, whether we know it or not, and you just have to become conscious of this, is just like, it's, it's not useful. It's not useful to to the end client. So, I mean, even starting a business like Forrestron, like I'm employee number two. But um, as we as we grew it and I look back, I'm like, I did so many things that weren't adding value to the I mean, we're we're providing a service for clients and trying to improve their futures, financial futures ultimately. Um, So that's that's one thing. The other thing is a lot of people like so, you know, I've been in leadership for now. I don't know. It's 15 years or something like that. A lot of leaders really have a hard time delegating. It's an extremely difficult thing to do for them. Mm-hmm. And that's just an outgrowth of people that became leaders probably have some control issues. I certainly had my own. Yeah. Right. And they had control issues. And so the thing is that I, you know, I've, I've, I've progressively moved from more of a, of a management style of, of trying to do everything myself to letting go more. And what I found with the big epiphany is the people, and I don't, you know, my colleagues are amazing, but the people that you didn't think could do things, all of a sudden their IQ shoots up and they're, you know, the things that they can do. Like, right. it's, it's amazing what people will do when you just give them the, the responsibility and you say, no, I trust you with that. And it's a little perky jerky to watch at first because you're like, I wouldn't do it that way, but <laughs> I'm just going to let it yeah. ride. And so you really have to, you really have to take a back seat in that. And, and, you know, the, I shouldn't be doing things that are um, urgent, right? I, I should be doing things that are important. Right. I don't know if you've seen that Matrix too. No, CEOs. but it, yeah, it's like urgent stuff is is more for the people that are in operations and doing stuff. Like if someone needs at a, a very basic level, if someone needs some sort of cash request, a withdrawal. Yeah. Obviously, I shouldn't be doing that, but you can kind of filter and triage that and look at what it is. So, um, you know, I should be thinking about strategic questions every day. Like with my, C, I wear two hats with my CEO hat. Right. What is the best way to take the business? is uh, should we partner with this firm or do they align with our values? Those types of things, right. which is really neat. And so it's a super, you Boy, know, it's so like gratified big, to be in that position. Big,
1: bigger picture. And, and for yeah. a lot of entrepreneurs, the, the thought of all, you know, that someone would screw that up or, you know, there's going to be those bumps and there's going to be those bruises. And if it's someone that you trust and, you know, as long as you say, You know, as long as you're not criminal or or doing something illegal or or you know, you're not exposing us, you know, or exposing a client to something that's uh costs a lot of money. Yeah, you know, they might do it slower. Right. And that's fine. Uh, but they'll get faster. And then they need that base understanding and you to teach them. And yeah. And that, you know, in the in the hundred and sixty-eight hours, I I always in my webinars talk about like the fifty-six hours of you know, sleep is eight hours a night. So you could steal yeah. some hours from there to, you know, maybe you want to golf yeah. and you got young kids at home and, you know, your, your husband or wife or however it looks mm-hmm. is like, well, well, you got, there's no time. You got to work and you got yeah. to come home and help yeah. out and share the duties. And you're like, well, right. this is not a balanced life. Yeah. So you're either going to steal it out of work time, you're going to steal it out of your sleep time. Mm-hmm. So maybe you steal an hour a day yeah. out of sleep. But then the 56 hours, I don't know many entrepreneurs that if they're starting or in their growth phase that aren't working, you know, and you might not be sitting at your desk, but you're thinking about it. You're working Mm -hmm. to get that down, you know, steal some hours out of work. Well, you need to free up bandwidth. Yeah. And, and decision bandwidth, you know, the amount of decisions we make in a day is, is astronomical. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So. You shouldn't
0: feel like you're racing from thing to thing. Like that's, that's really the, yeah. Again, we're talking, these are all soft things, but we're talking about cadence and feelings and that type of thing. But those are, those are the metrics. Yeah. Like, you know, you know, People ask, "How do you know when you're you're too busy?" I don't know. You just you just feel it. Right? Like, <laughs> yeah, you just feel like stressed out and edgy and annoyed. And but you're not the, a great person to be married to. right? <laughs>
1: <laughs> but that's that used to be a badge though, to wear it on your shoulder. Yeah, or, or totally. It, it it still is for yeah. a lot of people. But that that messaging and signaling to people that's you know how are you doing? Oh, I'm so busy. Yeah, was like a well, if I say that, yeah people are going to be like, wow, he's really killing it. That's true. You know, whereas I see, you see now, and you know, if you follow, you know, the the Tim Ferris's or the, you know, who pick whatever influencer, and they could be having a facade for some of them. But I truly believe there's been a lot of books written on happiness, balance. Yeah. This conundrum that we're, you know, in debating this podcast of what is wealth Mm -hmm. and is it status? It's now, and I, I think I didn't create this term, but it's time affluence.
0: Yeah. It's yeah, that's, that's, the, I've never heard that term, but the, the exactly. status,
1: you know, again, yeah. we're in my office. I got a big calendar. Yeah. I literally just wrote this oh. last week because I was asking you the question yeah. that I was asking myself oh, a week ago I where you've got revenue if you're, it isn't revenue. So we all want to grow. We want to have our strategic direction be validated with, with revenue. Cause that's kind of how yeah. we believe it. But right. there you, you color, you know, drop off my child once a week at daycare awesome, or school, yeah. Yeah. you know, so that's a, yeah. that's a green dot. Yeah. So now you've got a little, little game right. that doesn't require a lot of time. Preschool is 10 minutes away. Yeah. But consciously thinking, okay, what yeah. is – because that to me is what I would yeah. you know, view as status. Someone who's like, wow, totally. I –
0: Totally. You know, so- and the thing is, I, I mean, I don't I, – I think people set up the wrong metric where they say work is bad – free to le- leisure time is 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 good right and okay. a lot of people fall into that that trap so they want to minimize the amount of their working but right. what if you actually like work like i do yeah <laughs> i actually like i don't have the sunday night dread i used to have <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. as a kid i worked like doing some crappy job <laughs> or something like that that sunday night, i actually have a sunday night excitement i log in i look at what's happening in japan and i prep for monday morning and then i i go into monday morning we have a sales meeting at uh, 10am eastern third time <laughs> every Monday and I look forward to it. And so, you know, it's not saying that you should just be trying to punish the amount of work that you're like, reduce it in a smaller amount of time. It's right. just, it, feeling enjoyment while you're doing work is the thing and right. feeling balanced. Right. And again, those are, those are all sort of like soft things. You just don't, you, you can't really put your finger on it, but you know when it's, and I see your calendar too. And I see a lot of exciting things there, like camping, <laughs> yeah, and so yeah, forth. And, yeah, yeah. and that's what, that's what like, I mean, when I was a kid, I always wanted to like, I always said to my mother, I was always like, so we'd have like, uh, we'd go on, a, I don't know, we'd go over to a friend's house for the day and have a big play day and everything like that. And then when I was in the car driving back, I'd be like, what is the next thing we can look forward to? Right. Yeah. Like I always wanted to, as a kid, I always wanted to have something like that. And, and this is not like not living the future versus present, but I think that's what makes humanity exciting too. like what well, gets after. you
1: through a shitty week exactly you're like oh wow yeah. i'm I'm going camping or yeah. i'm going uh, to
0: maui in november that's yeah. awesome <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. i'm on a crappy call right <laughs> whatever yeah. but i'll be in maui in a bit and and so it's just like yeah it's that it's that fluidity of life and and feeling that you're yeah i don't know you're just hitting your stride and that, that kind of thing and you you know in fitness too right for example if you're if you're feeling like you're on a good streak you've been eating well for a long time Bingo. not consuming too many bottles of wine and stuff like yeah that. and you know you're like wow i'm in a rhythm here and then it
1: Yeah. You don't want to ruin it. So you're you're making different choices. And I think that leads to people's money choices. And a lot of my, you know, top 10 wealthiest clients didn't buy, you know, 30 years ago, the Tesla of 30 years ago and made a ton of money in stocks. Yeah. They just had a mindset. Right. They they worked hard at some sort of usually a business. Yeah. They socked it away. They didn't spend. And then they made prudent, you know, investment decisions over the years. But I I want to hear about four strong. So uh, again, in the name, it's global asset management. So Yep. You guys are taking an approach and have since 2003. 2001, that's, the
0: firm 2000. was founded. I, I joined in 2003. Oh, okay. So yep.
1: 2001 start, yep. 2003, you join. You guys have always been global macro. So yep. you're not diving into the priced earnings of CN Rail and making a call yes. if that's a good deal because the dividends are going to grow. Right, right. Okay. So you're global and you're using index funds the whole time or is it just is that a um, vault?
0: We've used ETFs the whole time. So we're, we're, okay. one of the, we're like one of the, I hate to use these like crazy words like pioneers. Yeah, yeah. Like but we were, we were one of the first to, to use ETFs as a complete solution for a portfolio. Okay. So we kind of flipped the narrative on its head, whereas a lot of people thought index vehicles and passive vehicles were just for you know, people who set it and forget it. Right. We said, no, we're not going to pick stocks. We're going to actually pick themes, countries, sectors, and that type of thing. And as you know, the ETF mm. vehicle kind of colonize the world's asset classes and you can i mean it really changed the nature of the portfolio management game because you can get gold you can get chinese bonds right. you can get all different things so we're just taking the decision making architecture and taking it away from individual stocks to um themes countries sectors so
1: that would lead to you know believe that there's there's diversification there um, across multiple things. Right? Well, there's a
0: number of advantages, right? I mean, so uh, maybe just to back up for a moment, like why would we start a firm that's all globally focused? And so it was founded by um, a gentleman named Wilf Hahn, and he was the head of, uh, like, the CIO of, of Canada's largest bank. Okay, And um, so he took a sabbatical in 99 and then wanted to build this firm around a global philosophy. And so, incidentally, like, China joined the World Trade Organization in 2001, and what he started noticing is like, you know, it's going to be as, as borders fall and as globalization interconnects countries more and more, it's going to be pretty hard to be just a domestic investor. Mm. Like, for example, oil, like the, the price of oil crashing in 2014, 2015, huge impact on this country. Yeah, it wasn't domestically, you know, that wasn't a domestic thing. Those were global forces imported into, imported into Canada and, and made, you know, us have a, a very difficult time here. Um, so, you know, the the sort of the why of it is like, we were like, wow, this is this is the, the world's so interconnected now. And maybe picking the right stock isn't going to be the most important decision anymore, because now you look at like all our banks, for example, in Canada, they all correlate the same way. Right. Because right? they're responding to the same macro variables. Right. And they, they used to be not that correlated. Hmm. Which is interesting, and that's, yeah. that's again—you got to think of like the world this, as I described when I was, you know, 21 in, in London. You just start to realize, wow, this is just a, a giant ecosystem. And now, when you put borders down in terms of people, information, and capital flowing all around the world, yeah, you really have to have that global perspective. So that was like our, our, you know, the prime directive in um, in uh, starting the firm. And so, uh, Wilf and I connected. I was the guy getting him coffee, <laughs> doing all this <laughs> stuff. And so I was, I was, I was in my mid 20s there. And we, we just grew the firm together. And I think when you when you look at what happened, a lot of people, so we were using ETFs and they're like, oh, they're a passive shop. No, we're completely active. We went through 2008, had this big global financial crisis and we were able to actually really outperform our peers. We didn't like, across our mandates, like our global balanced flagship mandate, didn't lose a dime in 2008. Right. like an average portfolio is down 30, 35%. Yeah, yeah, wow. Which is crazy, right? So yeah. people say, well, okay, how did you do that? Did you like, People are so used to thinking about the right stocks. <laughs> yeah. Well, we raised cash, we raised bonds and stuff like that. Right. But we also went into asset classes that could protect during a, a global financial crisis. So okay. We went long the Japanese yen as an example, and that happens to be a really negatively correlated uh, currency to uh, when stock markets fall. Right. And so that thing was up 42% versus the Canadian dollar. Wow. So we just looked for insulate, shock absorbing insulators for the portfolio because we were worried about the global financial crisis. Well documented on our website, it shows how we are thinking through it. Right. So, you know, you're thinking, okay, how can, I, how can I protect myself the most? And yes, cash is one thing and those types of things, but our industry is not focused on that at all. Like 99% of my peers on Bay Street just worry. They say, stick your nose to the grindstone and pick stocks and you'll be fine. That's sort of the Warren Buffett value right. investor. And we have elements of that too. Who doesn't want to buy cheap things that go up? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's, sort of, it's sort of looking at a broader perspective and saying, okay, our world now is less stable, of course, because you've got more right. interconnection. And so one thing happens, like Brexit, for example, was a huge reverberation across the, across the world. And so you start to think, okay, how can I construct the best possible portfolio that can be... Insulin against all sorts of uh, these types of environments and we've you know since since we started the firm we've had the global financial crisis. We've had the euro sovereign debt crisis of 2011. We've had the commodity bust of 2014 to 2015. We had the pandemic of 2020. Right. Each of those periods I mean this is so gratifying to say as a CIO each of those periods we we sort of like you know really skated through and protected the clients. Right. So. so,
1: so in in uh, and I'll put in the show notes. You've got uh, an annual newsletter that you do, Super Trends. Yep. it's called. So, yeah, uh, you know everyone. You know, and again, I know this isn't a crystal ball, but you notice themes right now, and you say yeah. it in the Super Trends article, which I can put in the show notes. So it's sure. nothing. You don't have to say anything that you secret sauce. But mm-hmm. you know, global across a lot of managers is being talked about right now. Yeah, and and global can mean. A lot of different things. It can mean people are going all in on Russia or, you know, yeah. you know, so yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot yeah. of things, but yeah. in your guys' stance, yeah, help me, help me understand. So in 2020, mm-hmm. I'm gonna, sorry, I'm going to tangent for a bit. Yeah. You were talking about like Finland, Sweden, and the industrial side of yeah. over there, right? Right. right. Okay. Yeah, am yeah, I bringing, am I remembering yeah, yeah. that right? Yep. Yeah. So, you know, th- maybe paint a picture of where your headspace was at there. Yeah. And then help us you know dovetail into twenty twenty one of like what the global landscape looks like for pockets of of opportunity or or what mm. four strong is you know you know is 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 viewing that
0: as yeah. So 2020, I mean, the pandemic has obviously been a game changer, uh, right? It's, yeah, it's, it was a game changer. So,
1: so, and, I think and you write met, your articles in like late December, early January, right? For the fo- for the yeah, coming up year, I used, I used year. to write
0: them over between uh, Christmas and New Year's, right? And I became a terrible person to be married to. Be a ah, yeah. So, uh, uh, not by choice, but I moved it back to uh, you know we re- we release it now sort of like right before Christmas. Gotcha. So for a okay. Year ahead. But so maybe let me, let me attack the first question. So I think we met in the first quarter of last year. Okay. Um, After I read the article, maybe? Yeah, probably. Pre-COVID. I think, no, I think it was... It was I think, in like March? I think it was, I think it was uh, yeah, I think it was sort okay. of like in the depths of the thing, because I remember markets were like definitely not doing well. Yeah. So back then, what we, we looked at, we looked out throughout history and we said, okay, a lot of people are reading this as a classic recession, Right. Versus sort of the natural disaster that it is. Like it's a health crisis. Yeah. That's very different than a, the classic recession. Now, let me give you an example. 1999, there's huge imbalances, right? Tech stocks are soaring. Yeah. Capital investment in that sector is way too. So when it corrects, it takes years to work out. Right. 2008, we had a huge buildup in consumer debt as a result of the housing bubble. And it took years and years to correct. We had the new normal and the secularist. Right. All those types. of things. So it's a long plotting recovery. The virus landed on an economic terrain in 2020 that was pretty good actually yeah we didn't have a lot of major imbalances we've been through a long workout period where the banking system was recapitalized consumers really re-leveraged their balance sheets like us and european um, households are in like were in good shape then they're in phenomenal shape now right which is which is weird a lot of people so the thing is the solution to a natural disaster health crisis is literally a shot in the arm right as a vaccine yeah And so that you can't compare a natural disaster Mm -hmm. to a classic recession because once you get back, once you solve the health crisis and you can get back to the economic trend line, you don't have that long workout period, if that makes sense. Yeah, that was one of my questions. Yeah, so what I was talking about back then, and I've spent a lot of time in Sweden, I actually used to have a place there, but um, the the Nordic countries, particularly Sweden, are are heavily um, geared towards the global economic cycle.
2: Mm. So
0: here we have... What's, what's neat is this time we have a health crisis. Everything gets shut down at the same time. And we felt that because of the largesse of the stimulus coming out, because we knew right away that the stimulus was going to be massive, yeah. there's, no, there's no like cap on spending during a health crisis, right? Right. Unlike the 2008 global financial crisis, where it was all about austerity and we should really tighten our belts. And stuff. So, this is right. like, let it rip, right? Biden's yeah. still talking about this $1.9 trillion stimulus package, which we'll probably go through shortly here. Jeez. So we felt that the economy would we would have a v-shape out of it like we could rip and it it might not be a v completely but a u or something like that yeah we could really come up so in that environment as a global investor you want to have exposure to cyclicals like the the cyclically oriented things and you know you can think about like financials and energy and industrials and that type of thing as a sector right but not a lot of people think about which countries and sweden is like completely geared to the global economic cycle they supply a lot to germany in terms of the consumer side and so we took on exposure to Sweden, Swedish equities, as an example. Right. And they've ripped out like scalded cats out of that thing. Right. And so, you know, the, the cool thing is like a virus is a black swan. So we're we're known for protection, but we're known for protection during classic recessions. So we got hit in, in the Jan to March period. But okay. then we came out and beat our benchmarks by the end of the year because we recognized the macro situation for what it was. And we said, no, you need to take on as much risk as you can. So we have all these portfolios that we run. And there's, we, you know, we we match them up to the risk tolerance of the client. So we went to almost to the maximum risk on that we could, right? In in some of our mandates, and it and it paid off. It right? paid off. Yeah. Now, obviously, we have a bit of a different situation, but I mean, it's it's times like that where you can, you know, people always ask me, "What do you think of manager X Y Z or whatever?" And I'm like, "Well, just look to a bear market, look to a crisis, right?" Everyone makes money in bull markets, right? It's yeah. Easy. Well, I think that's a, that's I always describe the shift of
1: like uh, money. Like water sloshing in a bucket, mm-hmm. so you mentioned that you know, it was like value on one side, growth on the other, yeah, and the water flows, you know, and then you could throw in a gyration called like, "Do you invest around the world?" yeah, and maybe you'd have like a toilet swirl kind of <laughs> going on there,
2: yeah but
1: at the same yeah. time, uh, if you think of two sides value growth, 2020, you know there was no love for value. Yeah, it all was sort of tech stocks, growth, Tesla, yeah. work
0: from home, COVID winner,
1: Amazon, yeah. Zoom, yeah. all that stuff, and so we always say, "Oh, you know, the, the, the slosh will come back to value," or there's going to be a blend. Yeah, what what would you say in that sense is is, and you guys are kind of classic both. You're not really yeah. all tech stocks, and you're no, not it's a, this all is a very value. Interesting
0: question, <laughs> because growth has outperformed for you so, know, are, so. So, are, if long. We have we
1: evolved? Have have as the no. invest? No, 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 yeah. no! It's
0: not different this time. <laughs> I don't think so. So I think this is the big thing, and I'm what I've been doing in in my client presentations lately is try to try to imagine the period from 2008 to 2020 as one period, and then the period after the pandemic is another period. Okay. So after the global financial crisis of 08, it was all about like austerity, as we talked about, new normal, slow growths, right, inflation, that type of thing. And in that environment where there's not broad-based growth, of course, everyone's going to, like, arb out and and chase these growth stocks because the growth is scarce in a world of that. So there's a growth famine. Right. Now what we're saying is we're entering a period after the coronavirus, like, which which really um, sort of engineered an economic reset, reset and a policy breakthrough in the sense that all those feelings from governments of austerity and everything like that have gone out the window. And now remember, the central bankers had to do all the work after 08. They lowered rates to zero. And the fiscal policymakers were like, they were no, we can't do anything. We're, we're supposed to be reducing our deficits. Right. Now, I mean, you know, last year, the, the deficit, we don't have the full figures yet, but it's, it's on track to be six times the largest deficit we've had in this country's history. It's insane. Yeah. And, there, and there's no sign of stopping. And so the big surprise coming out of this will be the durability of government spending. And, you know, Milton Friedman, the economist, once said that there's nothing so permanent as a temporary government program. Right. And that's that's kind of that's the world we're in. Right. And so it's kind of scary because we can moralize about like, while they're borrowing demand from the future and they're destroying our currency, all good things. But when you're a global investor, it's all relative. Right. Right. And so you look at how the pandemic we came through the pandemic. And, you know, as a macro investor, you 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 really look at sort of America eurozone and uh asia as the three economic orbs around the world okay what happened was so there's two vectors that you could analyze how those particular regions did through this there's the health vector and there's the financial vector and the health vector asia came through it swimmingly they had you know experience with sars in 2003 and so forth so i mean you know we uh, that's understandable but what's less known is like america and europe blew their balance sheets through the roof right like the the explosion in in debt per capita per is is insane and asia basically had you know a pretty timid response they didn't really do much in terms of right. filling the financial hole so what ends up happening through this thing i think is this is the first crisis where asia actually outperformed the west with less volatility and i'm talking about outperformance in currency bond markets and stock markets yeah and so the perception this we're we're living through a moment in time where the perception of safety as a, you know, as a global asset allocator is, hey, wait a minute, Asia's starting to look a little bit more safe than, you know, America that used to be safe. Right. And to go back to those two time periods the post 2008, the post 2020 in the post 2008 period after a crisis, it's very typical for money to stay close to shore to stay home. Right. And to, to run to the perceived safest house in the neighborhood, which was America. Okay. And. and try to put that narrative. Now Does America look super safe. Yeah, no, it doesn't. I mean, we've had, we've had just an ugly four years of politics and they've blown their balance sheets and there's a lot of things that, so from our, that there's some really, really interesting super trends coming out of this uh, right? one and, and you can't do it. Like say I'm just a North American stock picker. I can't do anything. Right. I don't have the leeway and the the mandate. So.
1: And do you, and, uh, when you think of like, uh, Buying a U.S. stock that, that is global, yep, like a, a John Deere or a McDonald's or something like that, is that a true global exposure?
0: <laughs> you probably know my answer to this. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Well, I, again, I, yeah.
1: I, I no, that wasn't I, a setup, but it, it's yeah. I I I hear it, and I I you know those companies sell you know their wares in other countries. So yep. when other countries are doing well, right. Other than U.S. or Canada, yeah. then they would be doing well. But what I find interesting about your mandate is like you're going and finding indexes that maybe haven't realized value yet. So,
0: yeah, can that, I come back that, to it? No, that's a good way to look at it. So, I mean, there's two. So the, the big retort to global investing has always been, well, I get my global exposure from U.S. multinationals. Right. You know, I, I, I got Johnson & Johnson. They're selling all over the world. Fair point two points to that. One is globalization is a double edged sword. So Johnson and Johnson is now competing with other similar companies in Brazil, in Mm. South Korea. And so they're competing for the same thing. Like, for example, um, you know uh, what, I mean, car companies like, you know, a lot of people say, well, there's a huge like luxury class in China, for example, and Land Rover can just go and sell out and ARB that out. Well, guess what? There's a competing Land Rover in China. What is is called
1: name different.
0: Yeah. The name is yeah. different. And they kind of like, you know, they kind of look the same. They go after the and they say they've got the same cachet, Right. Increasingly, they've got the same cachet. The other thing is, as you point out, okay, you could have, um, you know, say we have two stocks that sell the same thing, one in China, one in America, you could have a value difference. And, so the one in America can be trading on a far um, higher multiple than the one in China. And, and that's, that's exactly what's happened. Mm. So your point about value growth, um, values underperformed for 17 years growth, right? Um, emerging markets have underperformed the U S for 17 years. It's, it's, it's all lined up. And so we,
1: so you, you think know, there's an emerging market
0: value? Oh yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. There, there definitely is like, even after the performance in Asia last year, the, the valuations are still, still very reasonable. Right. And so, you know, you look at it as an asset allocator and let's just like simplify You've got cash stocks, bonds and commodities and a few other things, but owning a slice of a business now is, is the, is the best value internationally. That's like, we're, right. we're in a period where bonds are just horrifically valued. Cash is useless. Um, commodities look decent, but they're a different thing. And then of course we've got real estate and real estate's, you know, propped up by really, really low rates. And you know, a lot yeah. of things can happen even here locally, but, um, you know, you're not going to get the same doubles and triples and quadruples that you did over the last 20 years. It's just, right. It's a function of interest rates.
1: Well, so, yeah. And that's so I,
0: equities are a good place to be basically right now. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. The D de- like the injections of money, you know, is helping drive the, the real estate, but that's a whole nother.
0: Yeah. There's local things going on here that we can talk about too, but generally in the West real estate is, you know, on the high end it's of its value. We know that.
1: Right. So uh, I like to sort of like sum up the podcast by saying, you know, when we've kind of talked about a little bit, but what is your picture of wealth?
0: Yeah, my picture of wealth, like personally,
1: just whatever that question sort of the first thing that pops into your mind of like, you know, what, what is it like when you think of like, I always use the thing in the webinars, like think of the five richest people you know yeah and then do you think they truly have you know wealth yeah (laughs) he's like well i don't know a couple of them might but you know not all of them uh so the ones that do you know or for you what is that picture Yeah,
0: you know uh, for some reason i automatically think of my kids like what would i want them to aspire to right and so i've got a nine-year-old boy here and i'm always telling him like You know if you can find something and this this sounds very cliche but it it, you know if you find something that you like doing you never work a day in your life like i don't feel like i work anymore yeah i absolutely don't feel like i have a job i feel like i'm doing something i'm helping people i get to meet cool people like you and you know i'm doing something i i totally love so that and if you can fit that in the context of having and i use this word with my friends a lot like texture how lucky am i to have married someone or to have had a child have had a job or anything like that. So you start to add all those up and people, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a book called, um, five regrets of the dying. I think it's by Bonnie Ware. Have you, have you heard yeah, of
1: it? I use it as I open my webinars. Oh
0: yeah. yeah. Oh really? Okay. Yeah. 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 Oh, okay. So I, I mean, I've got those on my computer too. And right. You know, people though, I think one of the top ones is like, they wish they would have taken more risk in their lives. Yeah. You know, and we, we're, we're far more risk tolerant than we think we are. Yeah. And that's, that's not really necessarily in, um, you know, money terms or anything like that—it's just risks and relationships and stuff like that.
1: Fearcasting versus forecasting.
0: <laughs> oh wow, that's—I <laughs> literally just yeah. added that to my slides. Fearcasting, yeah,
1: that's it, brilliant. There's a lot more that could happen than actually will happen. Is the other kind of line that goes with that?
0: Right. That, I mean, most of the things that you fear, I mean, they—they they never do materials, and even if they do materialize, I mean, you know. And I think we're we're shifting into like more public consciousness that's more forgiving of that and. Right. You know, the world, I, I, I definitely, there's some things about the world I don't like, but there's some things I I love the direction they're going. Yeah. And as, as a money
1: manager, this is like totally uh, uh, kind of just tangenting. You, if you know how to invest so well, how uh, you're still working. Yeah. So I, I sense the passion and you and I know each other and I, yeah. I get that, but yeah you know, for your own, you know, sort of retirement just quit view, my own money. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I know you have your, your money invested alongside clients. So that yeah. that's great. Uh, you know, but is there any science that you put behind sort of your own approach to your account? Well, or, or are you the plumber with the leaky pipes?
0: <laughs> yeah, 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 no. Well, I mean, I think you know, this above all people, like we don't make people rich. Right? We, we don't. Yeah. It's, it's typically people come to us with they obviously got a good balance sheet somehow to be able to invest any money. Right. And so we we just more, for me, it's more like we're not going to take 100,000 and turn it into 10 million. That's not the style of. Right. So we're more like, and, and this is kind of like the zeitgeist that's happened over the last 20 years over the arc of my career is like people used to like come and say like, make um, make me rich right now. Right. It's like, keep me rich. Yeah. And so we more set up. um I think what we're very good at doing is setting up a system and a process in place and really looking at like a lot of people don't look at their overall balance sheet and their financial capital off versus their human capital. Yeah. So you're, you know, a lot of people working in Alberta and oil field, like their, hu- their human capital, their income is, is completely tied to oil and gas. Like it's crazy. Yeah. And then they have a portfolio full of like oil and gas stocks. Yeah. Yeah. And that's so yeah. common, right? Yeah. It's just so true, and 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 that's the home bias thing that comes through. A lot of people just invest in what they know because oh, yeah, I'm familiar with that that company. And so for us, it's more about setting up a process and saying like, let's get to. And we work through financial advisors like you, where you get to know the client and say, okay, these are these are this is the overall balance sheet. Yeah. And then we're going to provide something that okay, when oil and gas like in 2014 2015, we're up like 15 percent some of our income portfolios. Right. Right, so it's it's about setting that up. So I, I, mean, you know, why I wouldn't go onto a beach and just day trade or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> I don't like day trading, but w- w- you know, it, you're 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 into the process. It's not it's and it's not the end goal. It no longer becomes about having the the biggest balance sheet. It becomes about like again things that integrate with lifestyle and your goals yeah. and stuff like that. If that makes sense. Well,
1: it it totally it it does. In my you know somewhere in my past, I got the the. The the notion that you had to like kind of study, get the best grades, climb the corporate ladder, or start your business and build it, yeah, make the most money, sell it for the most you can. Yeah. And then kind of live a lifestyle and be right. happy at age 60.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and then uh, what do you do, right? And, well, it's go to I, a beach and you're miserable. <laughs> we see
1: it, we see it with clients yeah. where where it it maybe after a year it isn't all it's cracked up and they've sacrificed so much Yeah. to get to that point. Yeah. And they've missed things where, you know, you know, in our you know, webinars, we're talking about a person that passes away at age 65 and they got 2 million bucks in the bank. Yeah. But they sold their business for three. So they still died.
2: Yeah. <laughs> and yeah.
1: so if they could see themselves out a bit, yeah. then it is more about the journey to get there and becoming a millionaire. And, and yeah. instead of really holding strong to that, just got to get yeah. the biggest number later.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. So I'm, 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 I'm never retiring. I, my, my mantra is just to do more of what I want to do and less of what I don't want to do. Yeah. That's all it is. Right. It's a t- And I mean, I'm, I'm around, I mean, you and I are around a lot of people, like, I think the average age for a financial advisor is like approaching 60 now. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of guys are thinking, gals are thinking about, um, retirement, selling their books and that type of thing. But you see that they really, you know, you, you sit down with them and you, you, you get their darkest thoughts and they're like, I don't, I don't want to retire. I actually like <laughs> yeah, this. Yeah. I want to do less. I don't want to be as stressed as I was, but I, I'd, I'd love to stay, like how often you say, I'd love to stay plugged in. Yeah. That's the line, right? I'd love to stay plugged in. And so we have that at four strong. We've got a couple people that are, um, advising members to our investment committee who are, you know, now in their late sixties and they're like, I love doing this stuff. You don't have yeah. to pay me. We're like, yeah. we can pay you, but you don't have to pay me because I, I want to do this. Yeah. It keeps the brain fresh. And that's
1: amazing. That's, yeah. that keeps you, I would say my clients that I look up to that are in their seventies, they're still, you know, whether they manage their own money or manage a part of it, they've still got their, you know, cronies or their, yeah. their girlfriends that they exchange ideas with. Yeah. And they stay in the mix and it's something to get up and read the paper. It's like the classic yeah. guy in Phoenix, you know, on, on the fairway of the golf course is coffee steaming and the sun's coming up. <laughs> But he's still reading and, and being a part of something Yeah. because uh, to, yeah. to just be out of it when you've been so plugged in is, is probably not good for mental health.
0: No, it's, I mean, there's lots of good research out there. Like imagine being a CEO of a, like a big multinational company and then you kind of get out and you like you go grocery shopping for the first time because you've never done your groceries in the last 30 <laughs> yeah, years. You're like, this is weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you look at so,
1: well, thanks, Ty. Yeah, uh, oh, I, really, awesome. I, I really yeah. uh, enjoyed. We got lots to to riff about. And For sure. yeah, maybe we'll have to plan another one of these uh, in Let's the near two. Thanks, bud. Awesome. Thanks, man.
0: If you found this episode valuable, share it with a friend. If you found this episode super valuable, leave us a review on iTunes. It will help us continue to bring you top quality content. For more information on anything discussed on this show, visit www.servicewealth.com. That's service spelt S-E-R-V-I-S-S. Any investment topics covered on the show are not investment recommendations, and you should seek professional advice before making any investment decisions. This show was produced by Podigy Podcasts. Thanks for listening.